get stopped at Tennant's Verbal Highs. Let's start the show with Lewis Tennant. Here we go. Guests and interviews that you're looking for with creators, innovators, and so much more. For all episodes and further info, verbalhighs.com is the place to go. Been too intellectual, Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Remember that I'm just a guitar player from Timaru. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody here from Timaru? Welcome to Dr. Tennant's Verbal Highs, a podcast podcasted from Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, currently beaming out to you from another lockdown. Uh, for those, I mean, look, shivers. I have friends living all sorts of places that have been through lockdowns, and I'll, I'll cop to the fact that um, I, I don't follow um, who's in lockdown when. So, uh, if you're outside of Auckland, you may not be aware. Uh, on um, well, if you're in New Zealand, I'd be surprised if you if you're not aware. If you're outside of New Zealand, you may not be aware that uh, on Sunday or Saturday night last week, um, very out of the blue, felt more out of the blue. Um, for some reason than the earlier ones um, because the ne- it was like the next day, the next morning, 6am, seven-day lockdown. Um, we have a level system. We've got four levels. Four is, um, is, the, is the deepest. It's the deepest COVID level. That's the, that's the turn everything off, switch everything off level. Um, we're at level three. But that's switch everything off enough that I'm at home and teaching through a screen um, again. Which was uh, not great, not great timing. Week being week one back for for students at the uni I work at. But um, hey, they did it last year. We did it last year, and um, that's going okay. Very muggy here as well. Just to add to the the post apocalyptic feel, I've turned the fan off while I record. Um, I've shut the doors, and so we've only got a little bit of time, folks, before before I melt, before I melt like um, like the tigers in. What was that in? Look at the little black sambo. Little black sambo. Goodness. Um, I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a book from the past. Is that, where the, is that where the tigers turned into butter? Anyway, um, had a really great conversation with this gentleman. I try and do these shows, I, I sort of imagine like, because you know, some of them are a little bit, you could argue, indulgent, because uh, I know uh, my guest um, from, uh, from a quite, um, quite formative period of life there, which we, we discussed for both of us, where essentially a bunch of us um, lived in the late 90s in Wellington, um, and probably the same two blocks, like sort of like one third of a Pac-Man, um, of a Pac-Man level. Um, that was our, that was our, that was our, that was our, that was, that, we didn't go out of it. We didn't go out of it. Um, I, I must have done shopping outside of there from time to time. I know I'd go to my parents for dinner from time to time and, um, and, and must have gone to the beach a couple of times, but no, pretty much, um, pretty much, uh, two blocks of Cuba Street and, um, we discussed that. But anyway, back to, uh, back to that, um, you know, you might go, well, I didn't live on, um, two blocks of, uh, uh, Cuba Street in Wellington at a very particular period of time. Um, why would I have interest in listening to this? I always try and think about these, like, I listen to a load of conversations, you know, like those comedian podcasts in the UK and US and so on with people I, and, 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 and eras and references I just have, I have no knowledge of. But if the conversation's good, you know, um, um, I always enjoy them and, and sort of pick stuff up and learn stuff. So um, thanks, Gabes. Um, we discussed third, by the way, third Zoom, third non-face-to-face in a room looking at each other conversation I've done. 
Um, there's been Stephen Gallagher, which was episode 81. Um, there has been James Mehari, which was episode 94. And now this one, um, Gabe's was uh, via Zoom, uh, via via country Victoria in uh, in Australia there. And I've got to say, I've heard some. I'm going to toot my horn here. I'm horn tooting. Um, I've listened to a lot of big, big, big podcasts, big overseas podcasts. I'm doing a lot of Zoom calls, but they doesn't seem like they've done some basic Googling for how to um, make that audio experience a, a whole lot better than um, than what they're coming out with. So um, aside from a couple of moments, um, there's no echo, there's no delay, there's no uncanny valley in this conversation. Um, the only thing that hints at it is the, you know, the, the classic, the classic um, slight, Absence of lows in in, in, in Gabe's uh, frequency, um, the old school telephony effect, if you will. Okay, um, I was going to do a list of what we chat about, but um, I'll just pick and choose from that. Um, to, in, in order to shamelessly plug episodes, um, Otis Chamberlain came up. I did an episode with him way back. You can find that on my website verbalhighs dot com. Um, Darren Watson gets a brief mention. He was episode ninety one. Um, and Dave Bench, just a just a just a fleeting moment in time on this episode. He's episode fifty four. Okay, the um, conversation I had with Aaron Tokina um, is episode eighty seven. Um, Gabe's and I discuss Aaron, of course. Um, yeah, so I'll let the, the conversation is very long, so I'll, I'll, I'll get out of your way. Uh, like and share the show Verbal Highs podcast on Facebook, Verbal Highs on Twitter. Subscribe. Please like these small things. This is a passion project that she takes a lot of time, energy, um, and, uh, and budget. Um, subscribe, rate, please, and leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts, okay? Lovely to see the um, ratings and comments um, slowly growing on Apple Podcasts. I have a website, verbalhighs.com. Um, and there you can also find something else I'm tapping away at intermittently, the New Zealand Podcast Directory. Um, to my knowledge, the longest um, list and resource of uh, of New Zealand-based and themed podcasts out there. Um, did I give you the URL for that? Verbalwise.com New Zealand Podcast. Shouts outs to Gabe's, um, the charismatic raconteur with a great mind that I remember, and it's nice when your memories of uh, interacting with people are accurate. Um, it was a hoot, mate. A bloody hoot. This is Dr. Tannen's Verbal Highs. It's the output level. <laughs> it's the input level. Is it too... Hey! <laughs> Can you... I can't see you. If you Are you going to leave... Hang on. I've got to start the video. Sorry. What, what a... <laughs> <laughs> what a time to be alive, mate. Fucking it's, hell. I just want to play your arcade. Yeah, it's good. I just I just want to go straight immediately. I was like, Street Fighter. <laughs> Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2. It's actually got older games in there. It's like before our era. It's like um, kind of... What, Pac- Gallagher? Yeah, Gallagher, Ms. Pac-Man. But you can put... Space Invaders. I don't know if you know, you can, like, that's actually got a board, an emulator of the old actual boards in it, but you can um, you can basically put, like, a PC in there and download and have every game five, ever. Yeah, yeah, like, have 5,000 games. How are you, man? Yeah, good. Really good. You look like you're in a hostage video for some reason. <laughs> the way you framed yourself. 
Well, the last time I did the interview with uh, with The Rock, yeah, and um, you know, which which you know you you contacted me and said it was really great, and I'm sure you know Mike Garvey would be really like stoked to hear that. But when you watch me in the video, it just it's there's too much um, natural sunlight. I don't I don't post any video for this, so um, okay. My bottom line is like I don't know if you listen to a lot of podcasts, man, but um, even before lockdown, I had a rule that I only wanted to talk to people in person because it was like kind of not only that intimacy yeah. of being in the room together, but also. Um, when you get those echoes and stuff, it, it's a bit androidy. It's a bit like Uncanny Valley. <laughs> but I've done a couple of them, and um, if you just do a bit of looking into the into the settings and stuff, like this is fine. There's no delay with you that I can hear. Good. Yeah, you're the same. Hey, you know, so we're just straight into it. You know, I'm already recording, right? Yeah. Great. I would I would assume so. <laughs> I would hope so, unless you're going to go. And three, two, <laughs> yeah. one, and action. Mate, it's, <laughs> it's all content these days. Um, so I think the last time we actually were, were, were knocking about, mate, um, I was thinking about yeah. it would probably have been 98, and then I actually lived in Melbourne for about six or seven years, and you wouldn't remember this, but we were, we passed like ships in the night once. On Carlisle Street at the corner of Carlisle and Chapel. Oh, you yeah. remember yeah, you were going for the tram, man. Oh, right. You were like, you were almost like running backwards, hailing the tram, and then as, <laughs> as you did this maneuver and turned around, I was like, "Oh, it's Lewis," and um, <laughs> and then you waved at me, and then the tram arrived, and you just turned around and and you were like, "Hey, man, how's it going? Good to see you. Sorry, I can't talk. Got to keep going." <laughs> <laughs> And that was, yep, awesome. I'm touched, mate. I, I feel seen. I, I didn't think you'd remember. You actually remember more than I did. I, rem- I remember everything. <laughs> hey, man, so um, I was thinking about today, like, it was awesome, because I just messaged you about that, like, um, just saying, hey, it's been years, um, yeah. watch that talk. Um, I can't remember what I said. It was, like, real interesting, glad to see you well. And then you actually said, let's chat on a podcast episode, which I was stoked about. Well, because you you had done something that Mike had done in 2014. You had, you know, he spoke with Aaron. Yeah. Just one-on-one and maybe even over the phone. Yeah. You know, the quality of Aaron's voice sounds like he's talking to him on the phone, I've, I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then I thought, well, you know, you're the guy that talked to Aaron before he passed. Yeah. And I just started thinking, and I was like talking to him a couple of weeks before that, and we were trying to put Weta back together for the 20th anniversary, which became a tribute to Aaron. Yeah. Because he passed away. We've gone deep into that quickly, but um, yeah, okay. I was going to ask, I'll talk about that later on. I, get, I can get deep very quick. <laughs> But what I will say about that episode, man, is um, I haven't shared a lot publicly about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I said to you, actually, tell me what I said to you in the message. Like, I'm not by nature kind of a woo-woo guy. I'm kind of like a science-y, rationally guy. Yeah. But Aaron is always someone who's had that. And look, 
I'm preaching to the choir and even, you know, fans who didn't know him, he's got that spiritual quality about him, man. There's just no freaking denying it. So not only did he connect really, like, quite honestly and in quite a relaxed way that uh, that day that a lot of people said, you know, can be unusual with him, um, it really deeply affected me, bro. This is before he passed a week later. Like, he actually said a bunch of stuff that reconciled a bunch of stuff to me about creativity and the world. And, and so oh, the, yeah. the whole thing was just like a... It was one of the most intense weeks I've had. And I, you know, I hadn't even seen the guy for 25, 25 years. I don't, I didn't know him as well as you guys, but he kind yeah, of, he used to be in a van with him every day dealing <laughs> with that, you know? Just like, to cap it off, man. He, ga- he kind of gave, he got, he re- reborn and cleansed every day. <laughs> he gave me this weird fucking gift. And then he died a week later. Like, I recorded on the Saturday. You, don't, you won't know any of this. I recorded on a Saturday afternoon with him. We're both like, Oh, you know, out of lockdown, and um, yeah. I, get, I get the news a Saturday, a Saturday later. Um, yeah, so full on, man. <laughs> I was uh, unfortunately outside on my property, which is you know, country Victoria. Yeah, uh, and um, you know, we'd been trying to get this the, this weather thing going, and we had to find the contract for the album and. No one could get a copy, so we were looking at trying to go through. Uh, I asked Aaron, could he please contact Warner directly and if they might have a copy in the archives? Because at the time, you know, Aaron was, you know, the person you would most associate with Weta, um, being the lead singer and the star and, you know, the, the, the face. And I thought that his weight, he might be able to get that contract from Warner's and um, yeah, you know, like we could read through the contract and because I've, I've got to, I've got to backpedal a little bit and, and thank um, Doug bear who, who said to me in passing, um, he said, Oh mate, don't forget where does geographic is going to be 20 years old um, sometime, you know, this year, it's like February, maybe January, February. I saw him. Um, last year, and um, and he goes, don't forget, I can do 500 pressings on LP from Europe, 128 grand. It'll be amazing. <laughs> you can have all the artwork you want. You can yeah. you can make whatever you want. You can sell them for whatever you want. And um, and who's this guy? Is he from Warner's? No, no. Doug Doug Bear owns Rare Records, and gotcha. he does he does. He does this vinyl pressing for all these independent Australian bands, gotcha. and, and and a lot of bands also who are who are like, um, you know, like Melbourne bands that are, are now experiencing their twentieth anniversaries. Yeah, um, but obviously we were with you know major, so in the end, um, our label stepped in, um, and that's why it's become. Number three last week. In Congratulations. Well, we, it's, it's not here in Australia. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm here in Australia and it's just like every day goes by and, um, you know, our presence, or Weta's presence, I should say, it's not, it's not probably like it is in New Zealand where you're probably hearing the band a lot. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and Aaron kind of like obviously over here, 
there was a presence forever tied to him with where his career went on from there. So there's that sort of recognition and lineage. So we got to we got to reconcile because you sort of you're saying that you were trying to track down paperwork. Sounds like you're kind of trying to dot your i's and your t's. Like if we're going to do this again, we need to make sure what's going on contractually with Warner's. Is that kind of what you mean? That's- Absolutely correct. Yeah. No one in the band had a copy of our contract with Warner. <laughs> it was left on the left on the Picton Ferry after that Nelson gig. Yeah, yeah, just uh, threw it on the fire. I needed some fire, you know, paper to light the fire. Um, <laughs> and then, at the, but then at the Warner's end, was it like one of those things where it's twenty years ago the band finished on up? So pre-computers, no one kept records. Like, did it, did it not turn up? No, actually, a hard copy came from Sydney yeah. in the archives, and some poor girl, Tina, I think, had to go down to some dusty, you know, room at the bottom of the Warner um, Corporation sort of building, I don't know, because it took weeks. She must have been looking around for a while, and, uh, yeah, she found the original copy. She was like, one and a half years old when it was signed, you know, like she'd be like, yeah, and, and she, was, <laughs> she, was, she would have been walking around going, you know, what the hell am I doing this for? <laughs> what is it? What's a wetter anyway? Yeah, yeah. what is it? W e t t e r or w? <laughs> and so and yeah. you, you, sorry, did I cut you off there. You're gonna finish that one off. Yeah. So we got the contract and, and we discovered that our mastering. Um, which this is this this was the thing that we needed to know to move forward with pr- production of the LPs was the um, master tape, which is just basically the the final cut of Geographica. Was whether the years had expired and we had ownership or not, and they had not expired. Right. So that's where... Is it like Scientology? Yeah. Did you sign a billion-year contract or...? Um, it's not like... Uh, it's... It's... Uh, it's, an, it's the old-style contract. Yeah. It's not like a 360, which a lot of the younger stars do now, where, um, you know, they but the record company basically takes mostly everything, including merchandise and all that and ticket sales and da, 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 and, you know, live ticket sales. And, um, we, we were in the old deal where you just units, they, just units, quote unquote. Yeah. They, they dealt with the records and they got, they got most of the money for record sales. And then we got, we got all the money for performance. You know, we got all the, um, we got all the money for, uh, merchandise, Whereas today, if you were to look at, you know, one of the pop stars of today who's a major star, they're probably only getting 20% of their merch, 10% of their record sales, and, um, you know, yeah, they get probably half their performance. So what, what was the bottom line, man? Like, what, 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 what was the outcome once you found it? Sweet, good to go. Well, yeah, no, actually, um, like I said, I, I was, it was the day Aaron passed, I had left my phone inside, I was out on the property and I was cutting gorse with a chainsaw, Yeah, you know, clearing all this gorse and I'd been at it for five or six hours and I'd done trailer loads and I got back inside 
and I had a shower and I changed, which is, you know, just I'd been working hard. Yeah. And then the phone was just like it was it had been going crazy and I'm like, what's what's going on? And there's calls from Clinton Denhaya, there's calls from Steve James. And phones don't even really ring these days, bro. Well, no, it had been in, it had been inside. Yeah, yeah. While I'd been outside. Yeah. And, it, and whenever I go outside to work, I don't take my phone, obviously, because it might slip out of my pocket and some kangaroo will steal it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I got. Put, put it in I, my I got, pouch. I got the news about six or seven p.m. Australia time. Yep. And it was just like this. This sucks, you know. And then it continued to suck for quite some time, you know. And we just kind of got to that point where it was obvious that, you know, Weta were going to reform, the 20th anniversary was happening. Oh, I didn't know you were going to reform and, as well, right, yeah. And, and, and that, you know, that, um, well, you know, obviously, of course, I mean, you know, that that, that was... That was the butter I put on the bread to Aaron. Yeah, yeah. In conversation was, um, you know, bro, we go out there, we can get some of these LPs made and make some money and, you know, and he goes, because, you know, Aaron and I, you know, we were kids. So it's like, oh, how am I going to, I need to get some more money. You're always looking <laughs> for more money. Yeah. So I was like, ah, Doug Beer, Doug Beer, 20th anniversary, more money, more money. And then Aaron says to me, he goes, you know what, bro? You know what we're going to do better than that? We're going to get them to print a whole bunch of LPs that will go out <laughs> on the road and then we'll sell them out the back of the truck, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he was, he, I think he meant it. I think he meant it. You know? <laughs> I really do. And I think he would have done that because with um, with the Hori Buzz, yeah. he, had, he had gone to every town in New Zealand and developed a relationship with the entire nation. You know what I love that he did during those tours, man, is um, he he would play, he'd just go and jam out something like really solid Stevie Wonder covers or, you know, just classic pub stuff if the band stuff wasn't, you know, if a, if a venue or a bunch of people wasn't going to carry just with that music over the night so he was yeah. doing this kind of combination of kind of classic show pub band with you know his own written and produced material i know man something about that i really liked because it's like the antithesis of the kind of like you know ride or die um it's my shit or nothing else kind of mentality you know well i think a lot of people don't know back in those welly days when we were hanging and you know, we had our little crew. There was our little bubble that we lived in. But, you know, probably a lot, a lot of people don't know is that every weekend Aaron would go out and play in a covers band. That's how he made money. Yeah, I, I, and, and, and he had that history of he, busking yeah, sure. busking standards as well, you know. like Well, he, had, he bussed with his father yeah, yeah. as a teenager. But then, you know, in, you know, in his 20s, he was working as a professional musician, um, playing covers. Because I remember seeing him all sort of, uh, on Gusney Street when he was living with... Um, Moo and the boys in the co- that cotton cotton store flat? No, no, no. He was living with Tom Larkin and Sarah. 
Oh yeah, 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 and um, and he was like. He was walking out the door with his guitar, but he was dressed real slick. He had these nice pants. He had a really nice shirt on. And I just thought, you know, he was, he looked like the classic, you know, like, like the wedding band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of look. Yeah. You know, that nice shoes. And, and I'd never seen him like that before. And I was just went, what's going on? And he goes, go and do a gig, bro. Go and get some money. So, um, so after that, I realised that he was, he, you know, he really was the working musician. You know, yeah. he wasn't just like playing with Bongmaster, jamming out with those boys and then working on Weta, trying to get that happening. Um, the opera came along a little later. But, yeah, but he was still like getting the bread and butter that way as well, like just going down Courtney Place and playing to um, – you know the 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 bars on Courtney Place that you know great like, great way to keep your chops up and to be a you know a, 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 a you know constantly riding the bike performer man you know that's like we well, never stopped that's never right. stopped so yeah to cap off that day and maybe we'll come back to it towards the end man it sounds like um, you like me um, I mean I don't know what Aaron knew of his health but I think. The, what you described that I kind of had it when I heard it was like a woomph, you know, one of those, yeah. you know, when you, you know what I mean? That, yeah. I, that's not even a, that's what it was. It was like, what, what? And it yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. and, um, but it was the, like, unlike. Your heart and your, and your mind both sink. Look, it's a, fuck, it's a tragedy either way, but unlike when someone's been sick for a while or whatever and, then, and there's a lead up, it's, that's part of that what I'm trying to express, it was just kind of what, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was such a shock. Um, as I say, we'll come back. Cause I, when I chatted to, to Aaron, I, I really purposefully didn't talk a lot about Weta because all of the sort of stuff I looked at and read leading on up that he's been asked over the years is inevitably that, <laughs> you know, but I thought we can be a little, you know, we can get indulgent today because it's the good timing for it as well. Right. So we'll chat a bit, a bit about the band in a sec, but what about you, bro? Like you mentioned teenage years before. What I remember of you, if I've got it rightly, is you came up to Wellington from somewhere down South, right? Were you from the same town as Otis? Are you like a, Otis Chamberlain oh, and I memory. went to high school. Oh, my memory. <laughs> Your memory just came back to you like a lightning bolt. Where, where is that, bro? Timaru? So, uh, in between Christchurch and Dunedin. Yeah. And we were like, we were like just outcasts, you know. Uh, there was another guy called Phil Alexander who played bass and Otis was the drummer and I was the guitarist. And, and we had a little trio and... Um, I'm talking like 16, still at high school. Yeah, yeah. Otis, by by then though, bear in mind, Otis is a is an is the best skateboarder in New Zealand. He's another one. He's just good at he's everything. A, he's yeah, yeah, he's yeah. about he's about to go pro. He's a phenomenal artist. That yeah. like people are are just like you need to go down that avenue skateboarding. You'll just break your arms and your legs and all that. Plus. He can play all the drums on those Primus records, those early Primus records. And play them like the dude from Meshuga would, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, can yeah, you yeah. get any more talented? Yeah. Um, and he, he, took, he took me to Dunedin, and uh, Phil arrived later on. We joined a band with G. 
I remember uh, G from Seven. Is that the band? Yeah, Seven. Yeah. And we played this music in oh, Dunedin that they just, we were just like trying to do a sound garden thing. And Shane Carter was at the gig just kind of, you know, Being checking Shane. us out at, yeah. the Empire, at the Empire Pub. And, you know, we supported the Valains. I mean, it was like, that was like New Zealand, like, royalty. South Island, especially royalty, where you were at the well, time. Well, you know, in, in Dunedin, you, you, you rub shoulders at the Empire with the chills and, and you know, 3Ds. Shane Carter was always hanging around. And I came from, well, Otis and I came from that. There just, there wasn't enough happening, you know. And Otis took off. To Wellington. Wellington. Yeah, he took off to Wellington and I stayed for the summer. This must be like 1995 or something. And then I just get this phone call like, you know, Gabes, you gotta, you got to come up to Wellington. The music scene is amazing. It's, it's really happening. It's incredible. And, of course, you know, our, our favourite band, she had, had like a whole, they were there. And, you know, like you, you couldn't even see these guys in the South Island. They were already like you, you couldn't see anything in the south. But like I would grieve over not seeing Beastie Boys or the Helmet Show, Wellington Town Hall, or you know all these bands that would come through, and it would, t- it would cost like five hundred dollars to do. J- jangly guitar music gets a bit a bit <laughs> a bit too much after a while. Who wants well, some, just, you want we some? Were all, we were pretty heavy, heavy, you know, um, heavy musicians, you know, and. And, I, and and Otis, Otis and I, we lived in that flat on Vivian Street together, trying to get something going for about a year. Which I, which I heard you refer to as you said on that thing recently. <laughs> was uh, my flat? Oh, maybe it's probably better called a squat. And I was like, it's <laughs> yeah. amazing how times well, change. I think <laughs> it has to be called a flat if it has a toilet inside yeah. the. You know, inside the area that is the, the 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 flat itself, and of course, you had to go downstairs and use the communal building toilet. Toilet. I used the same two landlords for the whole that whole period of time. It was either Simon Manchester, the X twenty three lever guy, or um, Paul Nosley, who's now a criminal lawyer. But they both ran a bunch of those. I don't think it was your your landlord, and it was great, man. Yeah. Like what they what they provided. But I, I mean, I lived in one where we couldn't use one of the front rooms because. Because it was over the road on Willis Street from the council building, and there shouldn't have been anyone living in, in there. So as long as we yeah, didn't all those, go all those residential, as laws. long as we didn't go into the room that was visible to the entire council building, we could live well, there. You know, well, at, 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 at a certain point, I actually talked to um, oh, it might have been like Andrew Tolley, if you remember Andrew Tolley. Yeah, he yeah. was real smart. And, he, and I was talking about resident residential status and paying the rent, and he said, "Mate, you've got no toilet up there. You don't have to pay rent." <laughs> I think I just lived there for another ten years, mate. I'd come back. I'm sure he lived there. It was above the um, the pub on the corner, right? Just up from Hall and Wall. Cuba corner of Cuba and Vivian. Yeah, he lived across, there. For, he lived there for the years afterwards, man. No, he lived on the second floor and oh, got yeah. his, and that's when he got his art going and started doing that wicked. Um, Oh, you know, it was almost, you know, that that sort of Fr- sort of out of out of world characters that were that I think 
Fat Freddy's Drop used one of them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. His his, his just, kind of signature style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he did a he did um a, he got some council stuff done in Wellington that's you know he got permission to make graffiti and all that and. So I t- I I'm taking you off track a little bit there. So we we what were we talking about with the flat? You got to the flat. Oh, that's right. Moved to Wellington. You get. Well, I f- found out yeah. that because there was no toilet, it was essentially uh, commercial. Oh. So it so the landlord was actually breaking the law. So I changed the deadlock into to get into the t- to the flat, and the landlord would come and get the cash. So you get the old knock 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 knock, right? And um, you know it's I can't remember the landlord's name. Sorry. So I get it. You actually literally did turn it into a squat because you barricaded him out. Yeah, and I said, mate, we're not paying rent because there's no toilet. You you provide us with a toilet, and I'll pay you rent. And he, I could I could hear him swearing and cursing as he walked away because there was just no way to get a toilet up there without spending ten grand, right? Or maybe maybe not ten grand, maybe maybe three. And he probably he probably a lot of, probably, a lot probably, of money probably crossed his mind that if he pushed it a bit further, he could end up on the front page of the Evening Post. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah. one of those stories you kind of had in there. Yeah, yeah. The dodgy dodgy landlord gets caught. So um, so, so 20, we, 23 we year old Gabriel Atkinson uh, fitted a deadlock to his door when he realised so, the. Uh, <laughs> so. I, I'm not sure if Otis had moved out by then, and uh, I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure, but I never paid rent after that, and so um, you know, I had a few people come through living with me. But then, um, when I joined Weta, and you know that that started to move along, and then it was like, oh, we're going to Australia. And then Aaron was like, Aaron said, you know, look, we've got to start rehearsing every day. We've got to be as, because at the time we were listening to um, like the New Living End record. And, you know, we're always listening to the advice of She Had, which is you've got to practice every day. You've got to go through the set every day, every day before you do that, that gig, you know, at least a week's practice. So we sort of took that, amplified it. Yeah, they're the masters of not fucking up. Uh, yeah, and and then so this the spare room and on the on the top of the building became our rehearsal space, and it also became um, thanks to I believe Ian from Fat Freddy's, uh, he he acquired an eight track half inch tape machine. Yeah, which which we then demoed natural compression on very quickly, started to work the album and the vocals out sorry the ep work the ep out with tom larkin and 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 aaron was working the vocals out so it was it was a very musical place um but but i didn't pay any rent so i couldn't i couldn't ask the guys for any money for rehearsal space because i wasn't paying rent well, you're in the band too we jumped, we jumped ahead a little, but I, I'm going to guess it's just the nature of Wellington and the fact and our age and that period of you know that period of Wellington that's come up on the podcast a bit, mainly because I lived it. But I was yeah. curious as to how, in such a short period of time, that because for people who don't know, before Weta, um, oh, you're 
the other band you were in just beforehand is going to slip my mind. I was Hustler. just thinking about it today. Hustler. I mean, you were, you were in a band with, with Andrew Tolley, who, who the whole time I've known of him is, is kind of, um, royalty's the wrong word because he's such an egoless guy, but he's, a, you know, he's, a, he's the musician's musician, right? So how do you hook up with him and end up in a band as such a young guy? Because he's a bit older than you as well, right? Ten years, yeah, roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, but... What, well, what was happening? I'd, I'd been singing in Scout with Craig Terrace. Scout. You know, and because their, their singer just went off off the deep end, and I don't know where he went, and um, I fancied myself as a bit of a singer, and uh, they needed a singer, so I, 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 took, I, I took the job on, and we did a couple of dates with Head Like a Hole, and it was fantastic. Got to sing at the power station, yeah. You know, to the head like a whole crowd, and when you sing, you're not limited to your guitar or anything. You, I would, I was, I must have done forty laps of the stage, and um, so this is a lot coming from because um, now, you know, the thing I find with age is time moves a lot quicker. Like for example, yeah, the just under two years I did. The Bricky Show on Active seemed like a really long time at the time, but you basically describe not moving from the sticks, man. That's unfair. But you know, bottom oh, of the South town. Island, small, small town New Zealand. Yeah, and 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 you probably when you initially get to Wellington, go, ah, oh, it's the big smoke, and then yeah. all this quite remarkable stuff actually happens that wouldn't for doesn't for everyone, right? Just like you say, you end up performing quite big shows, and so it moved at a rate of knots, right? But I had the same drive. Uh, that led me to Weta. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not insulting the guys in, in Scout or the guys in Hustler. I'm just saying that my drive was to get out of New Zealand. Yeah. And to keep, get, keep, to, to keep going down or, uh, or you know, uh, um, keep just, uh, you know. Momentum going. Like, you know, like just. Jumping the, you know, stepstoning. Stepstoning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Know, like, yeah. The, the guys in Weta, when I said, um, you know, should go to Australia, and they were like, yeah, got to go to Australia. Yeah. And then that was all that was said. Yeah, but yeah. Then, then it was a case of like, how do we how do we actually do that? I'll, I'll, put, I'll put it to you another way, man. Like I know exactly the mentality you mean, and and it's perfectly fine, man. Everyone's got their own things they want to do with life, or there's a whole bunch of stuff to this. But and this is certainly not limited to Wellington. You know what I mean? It's a human condition. But yeah, that that kind of mentality you describe is reminds me of when I'd be back in Wellington after like say ten years or whatever, and, and you walk down Cuba Street. And someone says, you know, what are you up to? You go, um, oh, not much. They go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. What have you been up to? Oh, not much. This isn't a knock on Wellington. People hear this and hear it wrong. But it's that sort of like um, same place, same thing, same place, same thing over and over and over. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Now I'm, not, now I'm not very eloquently describing the same thing. But, yeah, it's a, it's a desire to, it's a desire to, to kind of to like achieve. Yeah, to achieve, to move on forward. Bang. <laughs> and definitely like um what have you been up know, to not much yeah, yeah, yeah. just cruising uh just, <laughs> yeah had a coffee at Midnight espresso it's wicked yeah um played some pinball with, fuck uh, yeah with carl kippenberger and jezza it was wicked hey i'll tell you two things there. i'll tell you two things yeah man um 
I've known Jez for years, longer than any of you. Like, we go back to high school. Um, yeah. And, um, but I hadn't seen Kippy for years. But through Pinball, which came back, Jizzy and I <laughs> found this bunch of guys that play Pinball. I hadn't played it for, like, 15 years. Um, I've been hanging out with Carl again. It's great, man. It's like, you know. Oh, that's cool. It is cool. It's, 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 it buzzes me out how long ago it was and how long it was between drinks. But Mars Attacks. Mars, Mars Attacks. Yeah, Attack I've, from Mars. You I've, got it, bro. Oh, sorry, it's Attack from Mars. But yeah. we put, I reckon we put like $2,000 into that machine <laughs> at Midnight Espresso. We just kept trying to clock it. Yeah. As you do. <laughs> when you're, so you when you're waiting around to rehearse and, you, you know, you, waiting around for a gig. You get into you get into it. You're in, you're in Weta and, um, you know, like you kind of already alluded to, for people who don't know, you're, you're, you're kind of natural frontman and, and, and a showman. Um, what yes. was the dynamic like with Aaron first off, you know? was it? Did you guys click or was there a bit of um, toing and froing there in, in, in terms of that? Bit of jockeying. Yeah, what, what Aaron's really good at, which no one knows, and um, he, he did do it when he was a teenager, but he never did. Um, he did Eddie Van Halen when he was a teenager at um, the Rock Quest. I was there. Okay, yeah. So he used to do a, a fantastic Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Um, there are two other guitarists who, who he could do just as well, and they are Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And I think it was like maybe a, you know, sort of third re- rehearsal. I was still getting my amp warmed up, and he was ready to go, and I had my back turned to him, and he played, um, he played some Hendrix, like uh, one of the sort of like, just a couple of moments of, um, t- like the basic ones, like Purple Haze or something, nothing too technical or, or out there. But I, he sounded, he, got, he but I nailed it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. swear that Jimi Hendrix was in the room. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and I anyway, turned around. Yeah, yeah. I turned around and looked at him, and he stopped playing and looked at me as if to say, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> You know, honky. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> honky white boy, try that. <laughs> and then um, I just looked at him like, whoa. And, I, you know, I was like, oh, you got to show me how to do that. And I'm like, mm-mm, you're not ready. <laughs> but uh, he did do Steve Ray Vaughan again in a similar situation. And it was just like, as a guitarist, it's a, it's a, it's a nerdy guitar thing, Um to attain that kind of proficiency, and um, Aaron had that. Yeah. He could do that stuff. So there was certainly no, um, like, you know, contesting that because I wanted to – what I actually wanted to steal from him was how to play funk and reggae. Yeah. Which it it took me ages to get it out of him because he was just, like, too busy writing this, you know, this opus, which would would be – Geographica had no name, um, and and you know we, the, the whole record was pretty much written before we left New Zealand. Yeah, there's only there's only three songs on Geographica that he wrote in Melbourne because once we hit the ground in Melbourne, we were running, man. We were touring, and we were, we were just you know um, <clears throat> advertising the product. But going back, um, the great thing that um, I bought was maybe that 
you know, took his little dance on one side on the bass, my little dance on one side of the stage, yeah. the guitar. That, that balanced out a bit more. Plus, what a lot of people um, uh, forget is that we had two singers, which meant harmony. You had live rock harmonies in, often just on albums, right? Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people subconsciously are not really aware of it because, you know, obviously the, 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 the main fans are watching Aaron and then when the BVs kick in, um, they subconsciously go, that's the record. Yeah. Instead of like, um, you know, when you're a musician, you go and see, um, well, what's a band that has difficulty with their harmonies is Radiohead. They have a lot of difficulties, you know, like... Do you mean emulating what they do in the studio live? Vocally. Yeah, vocally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The music, the music's not a problem. No, I, I know you mean vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the vocal harmony. Yeah. And, and, and it, goes back to, it goes back to the Beatles and, and that era where everybody sang harmony live, just like on the record when they recorded it live in the studio. And it's that, that was, you know, like the thing... And that that was that was the secret um, yeah. that I always thought was great with the chemistry between Aaron and I is that he would be singing away and then he go and then he'd be like right this is the chorus okay let's work it out what am I going to do and and you know okay I'll do this nah that's not working what about if you do this you do this okay try doing this and then eventually we just work it out and just and practice it and practice it and and make it sound. Um, seamless, yeah. So that you would, so because I would, I would even try and like change my voice to him. You know, like because uh, we have different voices, obviously. But if you both sang, this is a really nerdy question. I ask it anyway. If you both sang in your kind of natural, comfortable range, was there kind of a universe gift there, and that your voices fit together, or did you have to, did you have to work at those harmonies? Well, we are on the record. Which one? Geographica. Yeah, which one? Is it? Is it like uh, I'm saying? So, do, your, do, you, do your ranges so got, comfortably sit together, or was it a bit of wrangly dangling? Um, the e the EP was Aaron was still working it out. Yeah, <clears throat> but by the time he got to Geographica, he was really cooking with gas, you know. And we we went to the the vocal um, to do the sorry, we went to record the vocals in Sydney because Steve James was like, you know had this place that he liked it had a great feel and a the, in the booth the microphone was what he was after you know producers have these visions and you just follow their vision and um if you listen to um uh got the jews a classic like even steve james is singing and got the jew oh that's that, that's a big part of that tune the, the vocals it, yeah it, it, steve james has got this massive baritone so at the end of the very end of got the jew where it's going mm, yeah mm, and there's a really deep voice going mm, that's actually steve james but like it, like for example like um you know there could be like god the jew god the jew and then um when it goes into uh Step in, step out. There'll be there might be a double of me come that gets fed in. 
you know, it's all through the record yeah. where I'm where I'm literally doubling, and then I'm Aaron's harmonising, or I'm harmonising, or we're both doing the harmony. Sometimes me, Steve, and Aaron were around the mic all together. You're giving me so many threads here of things I want to chat about. So just quickly, <laughs> um, you know, kind of where to, where to trivia. I, I know the answer to this. I only, I only found it out relatively recently. Yeah. Um, people are like, what the fuck has got the Jew? And it actually, from what I've heard, it it's, it, it derives from um, another kind of person I've got really fond memories of in Wellington of that era, Dave Berry, right? Is yeah. that right? I I wasn't part of the band when this happened, yeah. but I, I of course I asked the question because I was like, what the hell am I singing? <laughs> and because um, I had to sing that, oh, because because of the nature of like there were three vocal parts, I started it and then Aaron would sing Step In, Step Out and then he would jump to kick back and ride the wave. But the whole time I would just be going... God, did you, like, <laughs> I would sing that, you know, night after night and then, like, anyway. Wake up in the middle of the night, eyes wide open, God, did you, God, Yeah, did I'm you? still singing it. <laughs> <laughs> At least I know what it means. But it comes from juju, which is African voodoo, you know, magic, voodoo powers. Dave Berry was, like, um, saying to Aaron that, that he had, performed a guitar take and that it, that it had the juju. But you kind of, like, you know, this is funny, things, things, things just coming full circle here. The title of that EP, Natural Compression, um, I don't know whether the title of the album came first or it was something you used to go around and say all the time, but I distinctly remember you, you used to go, Natural Compression. Anyway, yeah, well, the reason, wait, 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 the reason that this relates... Yeah. To, to you got not you not quite telling that Dave Berry story properly is you've got to do it in Dave's voice because he's got natural compression because wouldn't he have been like oh that's that's got the juju see I can't yeah, even get that low because um, I go down to the I go down to the store and get some strings man and I just get a packet of those um, Ernie Ball heavy bottom right top. <laughs> Cheers, man. Suddenly you get a really um, yeah. detailed and yeah. um, earnest 10 minutes, uh, very in-depth. Conversation uh, about guitar. Guitar strings, yeah. Yeah, it was strapped. Love that, man. Speakers, <laughs> amplifiers, anything you want. I can just, I can tell you exactly what you need to know. <sighs> a history of rock and roll guitar. And he yeah, actually, he actually bought a hole in the wall after you left um, Wellington. You must have heard that through the grapevine. No, he turned it into Valve Bar yeah, just, yeah, before we, yeah. just before we left, and we performed a show there at Valve Bar. Yeah, right. So it was like one of the – and he, he decked it out with this wicked PA, and it sounded fantastic. So we played there, and, and then we got on a plane literally about f- like five hours later and went to Australia on a Sunday. So what did Dave, Dave recorded, I just want to get the recording timeline right, so Dave recorded um, just quickly? At OMW, he recorded Weta doing some stuff before they went to New um, to York, York Street Studios in Auckland and spent $10,000. They spent $10,000 that, that Aaron had borrowed from somewhere and they Complete came... waste of money. They came back and Tom Larkin was really honest and said... This is before you were in the band, right? That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I wasn't eh? in the group. Yeah. I so, wasn't in the group yet. This stuff must have been going so, on when I was doing right. Slur and 
So it's a, it's a big it's a big wedge um, for anyone that age, and I guess twenty years ago, and they come back. And Tom um, Larkin's actually really honest and says, "Look, that's just not captured you guys right." And then they give it another crack with him. By which stage you're recording on that version? Is that right at Marmalade? Well, uh, this is a fun, <laughs> this is a funny story about natural compression. Is that yes, I did walk around saying. You know, you want to be like one of those guys on the radio. <laughs> That's right. You, you gotta, say it to me. You, what you got to do is you got to have a little bit of natural compression in your voice, mate, and then you've got the absolutely <laughs> sensational. And it's sort of it was sort of stolen from Harry Enfield's oh, um, comedy sketch, but um, but I did know that you know to to lift your larynx, they they did say, look, it's it's a form of like natural compression, like compressing your own larynx so you can sort of, hey, that's absolutely sensational. I could sell you, you know. And I was doing this for, like, like I was I was annoying people, but, I mean, I was pretty annoying just in normal mode. And then I got a hold of this thing that was annoying people. So I, I, if I found something that I could do that it would annoy people, I would run with it. And Tom and Aaron, who are trying to get the EP ready, and I would just pop in and go, how you guys going, mate? Is it working out for you? What are those lyrics like? Is uh, the new song pretty cool? Oh, that's great, mate. Don't forget, natural compression. And 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 to this, you ask the guys, they thought I was full of shit. And they were like, you're crazy. You're full of shit. So I, we, get to, we get to do the EP at Marmalade, which I did not perform on, by the way, because like... Like Weta in, in York Street, I had no recording experience. I went to do Let It Go, and and I started performing, but I started recording and performing like I was on stage. Yeah, right. And it was hideous. So I got through the take, and then Tom just goes, exactly like he did to Benji, just goes, he goes, uh, listen, Gabes, you're just really pretty shit at playing guitar to tape unless you can calm down. So if you sit down and calm down, we'll try it. How about, um, you know, let's let Aaron, let, watch Aaron again. And so Aaron quickly finished Let It Go. And then I'm not sure what song we did. And I tried to do it sitting down and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't stay in. I was too excited. I just wanted to go, 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 go. You know, like, this is the live show, rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recording in the studio and playing live are two different beasts. And I just I just stepped back. And the only guitar part that I, that I begged for was the dropout and Where Have You Been, where it goes, da na 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 just before it goes totally crazy. And, and you can tell it's me because it's a completely different guitar. And um, and I insisted on playing my guitar, and you know, uh, Aaron had been playing um, John Tugood's um, Fenders for the whole recording. So it was a, this different guitar pops out, and um, you can hear that. But while we were there in Marmalade, this, um, you know, like uh, uh, like from the where he was like from. The New Zealand Broadcasting, I don't know what the hell he was doing there, but he's like an old radio guy. Oh, Marmalade was kind of full of those guys, yeah. So that's yeah. A, that's another story. So he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he came in to have a listen. Yeah. And um, and because I was still pushing this angle, I turned him and, you know, he shook his hand and then I went, 
say you're in the radio industry, mate. How's it all going? And he just goes, you have got amazing natural compression. <laughs> and then everybody erupted into, like, laughter, like, this is ridiculous. Because he, he was a well-known Wellington uh, AM, AM, you know, DJ. Yeah, Marmalade, Marmalade, there's, there's a sort of, Marmalade's got that long history. It totally makes sense. Someone like that would have just walked on in. Oh, you know what, you know, you know what, you know what it would have been? I was thinking, this is so incidental of everyone, but fuck it, we'll go for it. Is, um, what it probably (laughs) would have been is, um, because I was getting voice work there for a while. Um, it's where a lot of ads were getting recorded for TV and radio. So he might have even been in the building, you know, like recording a telecom ad or something. But yeah, that that was the recording studio. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Probably, and knew that he could hear all this ruckus from these young boys and thought he'd pop his head in because it's fun. Yeah, with, and I got, with his and nicoti- I got nicotine stained hair. Yeah, yeah those, I got those, him, though. Those guys. I, was just like, <laughs> I told you it was real. You've been, you've been saying for months that it's not real, and that's that's the real deal, you know. So I'm trying to think of the idiom. Like, the idiom is something like a baptism of fire. So, like, in those few days, it sounds like. You learned a hell of a lot, a hell of a hell of quickly about how to change your whole approach to essentially lay down music instead of perform it live, right? Yeah, from watching from watching Aaron. And one thing I got from you, just to cut you off one sec, is it's yeah. about measuring yourself more physically, like being more controlled. What what, what what else is there to it? What's it, what are the other kind of fundamental differences? Um, staying on the one. Yeah. With your drummer. Yeah massive thing which um which you know i had no idea about and this is where i was trying to steal all that funk stuff and reggae from aaron i was always like going like nudging him going you know bro play that thing you know because he'd do things he'd do things in the middle of wetter songs live that were like part of the bong master show guitar style yeah no, we're, or the, you, got, you got to know. We got to know all the rules to completely break them, right? Yeah. I mean, he. I've seen footage of him doing it with a hoary buzz. You know, where he's going for. It's like you know, it's, it's like Noel yeah, Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah you bro, just go. That, that, your, whole, yeah. your brain explodes, and you go, "How's he doing that?" And so, so I was always nudging him, and come on, bro, come show me, show me. He'd be like, "Oh, look, you got to do this and this and this," and I'd be like, "Thanks, thanks," and. I practice and practice and practice and practice. Take ages to get it, you know, ages. Like, I think the reggae, it took me about a year to get the basic reggae beat going, which he learned when he was like about five or six. You know what, man? Tell me if you reckon there's a connection here, but something I heard you say in that chat with um, with the boys on, on, that, on that rock conversation recently is that he part of it, because it's, again, this is weird sort of, all these subtopics tying together like you've talked about how tom said hey like calm down in the studio you had to get more measured and so on you're trying to learn um essentially like the 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 blacker end of guitar playing and then you talked about how aaron would just make you like sit on one note or one groove or one chord for like ages and ages and ages and to me that is kind of part of getting into that reggae feel or that funk feel it's just locking in to one yeah. thing until yeah. it's like almost percussive absolutely very different yeah. to rock licks right i mean and, and like tookie and aaron were already telepathic because they're brothers yeah so you know um and then clinton was you know obviously he was locking in with tookie and then i had to learn to lock into the three of them because i was just like trying to find my place yeah. So it was like, 
you know, focus on the one. When we have a jam, focus on the one. You play something, and whatever you play, and it's generally the first thing that comes off the top of your head. Yeah, just keep playing that. You know, and that realize, was the trick. Because I realize, you know, exactly the same time. I just realize now that I mean, that's what Freddies have built their whole thing off is just the monster long jam with that one thing that builds and builds and then the this and the that. Well, I remember I remember going and seeing Bongmaster and um and just thinking this is the most fantastic, you know, musical experience. Yeah. And that they really were like amazing. And then uh Dallas started to, you know, make a sort of a solo record and I mean Dallas had been singing at the Matterhorn he'd been he'd been you know trying to get into a group and do something and and I guess it was just you know like once Aaron stepped away and went no I'm gonna follow the major label I'm gonna go with the rock and roll I think um you know Dallas stepped in and then they kind of changed the name they got you know, they got their thing going, but I still think of Fat Freddy's Drop as um, as you know, Bongmaster, as, as Aaron's old band Bongmaster, or even the, the crackhead experience, which they were for a while with that guy Benny Staples from Auckland. So I put it to this this to you, man. It's come up on the show before, and I've yeah, I've talked about this era, and it's you know, obviously it's nostalgia because I lived it, but you know, it is documented that period of time was pretty fertile <laughs> creativity wise at wellington yeah. so yeah. so if i if i if i said to you like work with me here if i said to you like when you first turned up to wellington and someone said to you what kind of music you're into like you know the key genre you were into what would you say it was well as always guns and roses yeah so was, so rock was, okay so I'll go, let's go always with yeah but like the the actual wellington scene hated that because i was always like an antagonist. I was always trying to get people. I was try- always trying to annoy people, basically, and get their get their back up. But I don't I think could- you're as militant as someone like Craig Terrace, who is quite sort of angry. At, well, not ang- again. I don't sound like I'm um, I'm um, speaking ill of people. I'm not. He's, he's he's great. But yeah, I think you yeah you got out there. Yeah, and- no, I was more like um, <laughs> you're I'm more cheeky, guns- mate. Yeah, I'm into Guns and Roses because they're fucking awesome, and I love tight denim, and I love leather jackets, and I love, you know, screaming rock and roll. We'll get to your trousers here in a second. So <laughs> all I was going to say is, um, you know, one of the things I noticed when I moved to Melbourne that that is very different to somewhere like Wellington at that time yeah. is that you could have grown up. slices of pizza. <laughs> you could have grown up. You could have grown up in Melbourne and just existed in that rock or whatever your thing is that floats your, floats your boat, that, yeah. that could be your scene for your whole life, your whole musical career. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the one thing I think is really to be said about a small city is um, people tend to exist in satellite scenes the bigger the city gets, right? Absolutely. So in other words, you smelled and tasted and went and poked and prodded all the different musical... Like, well, and- Wellington was a, you know, it was a, a, a just a little, like cultural like boiling pot of music and art and poetry and everybody was there because it was it was cool it wasn't too um like um arrogant of itself 
Like, guys, I lived in Dunedin, man. <laughs> I lived with some seriously cool dudes, you know? With that, yeah, that sort of pedigree, I get it, yeah. Pe- you know, the... Yeah, the yeah. You know the um, the flying nun pedigree. I read I mean, Shane Carter's book recently. I had, I don't get through a lot of books, but it's interesting. I, I learned a lot about kind of down there. It's just different. It's just yeah. different. And um, I'm not saying I'm not having a slag on Dunedin. I'm just saying that when you're playing heavy rock or sort of a a, a style that's really heavy um, in a jangly town, it's like hmm. What are these guys doing? I don't know, but it's pretty good. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to work with us. Let's so go. We'll, yeah, go, go, go. There's a lot. There's a, there's a few levels to that, eh? Because also I was thinking, like, also it's just the era, like, um, you know, GNR and that was so huge. And then the way a lot of people put it is like grunge hit and everything. It's just like all that stuff got clobbered over the head overnight, you know, kind of yeah. era wise. Well, so you guys move. You moved to Melbourne and. Um, um, but I only was, did sorry to cut you off. Yeah, that's right. I, I did the Guns and Roses thing because I thought I would get a you know get a rise out of people. But I I loved like you know in utero by Nirvana, and no one knew that. And I wouldn't tell anyone, and I just just I just keep going with this thing, you know. And I and I loved Helmet, and, and I loved I loved PJ Harvey, and I and I loved you know. Old stuff, Beatles, Stones, and and, well, and, and I, all that stuff. But I, I'd never tell them. I'd just go, "Nah, mate, Guns and Roses—they're the only thing for me." I think, <laughs> I think you you may remember I I did some engineering for you, and that was in fact your um your uh, your hearty rendition of Axl Rose for a for a radioactive sting, <laughs> which I think was still on air when I when about fifteen years later when I was driving, I heard it and went, "Oh shit, that's right, it's Gabe's." Yeah. <laughs> So you guys, moved, <laughs> you guys moved to Melbourne, and um, you sort of, from what I can gather, um, it was sort of a snap decision, right? You're suddenly in this much bigger city and in a different country. Was it? How were the early days, man? Was it all just like? Uh, we flew to Sydney. Yeah. Did a fake signing. Went down to. Um, what do you mean Melbourne. a fake signing? Well, because they hadn't actually form, formed the contract. Oh, like a camera, like a photo op. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, we, yeah. we went to Sydney. We went to the Crow's Nest where Warner had their office. And then we all pretended in a photo to, you know, like, oh, here we are signing. And then, um, you know, uh, got taken out for lunch, remembering that we're still awake from the night before at Valve Bar. We're still awake. Standard practice of the era. You know, it took the red eye to Sydney. Yeah. It took the red eye to Sydney. <laughs> it was a beautiful flight across the Tasman Sea. Sorry, Slim Dusty slips out of me every now and then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we um, did this fake signing, got a beautiful, like, lunch, afternoon tea, got on another plane and flew to Melbourne, and we went to Gray Street and stayed at the coffee house, which was a hostel. Yeah. So we went, we went straight into a bunk bedroom. St Kilda, right? Gray Street, St Kilda? Gray Street, yeah. St Kilda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the corner of Fitzroy and Gray Street. Yeah. We went straight into a bunk room situation, so, you know, four single beds, a bit like the Beatles in Hamburg. It's crazy. <laughs> and we lived there for two weeks. 
Yeah, right. And, that, and that's where we found out about the two dollar fifty slices of pizza around the corner. Yeah, and we and we went, we walked down Fitzroy Street and found um, the ESPY, which we were doing a residency at. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so the very first thing that Weta did was play every Thursday night with Motor Ace, who were the um, uh, the Mushroom signing rock band. So you had Warner signing rock band Weta, Mushroom signing Warner rock band. Motor Ace. I don't think um, EMI had anything going at that time. Maybe uh, well in Melbourne it was just Motor Ace and Wetter. Let's just put it that way. And we got put together to do a Thursday night residency which they were still doing at the SB at the time. Because just to quickly interject there's a much longer, there's a history of like being able to play pubs and make a living in Aussie and not just be a cover band, right? You know, there's much yes. more opportunity there to play professionally on that on that on that you know pub bar level than than New Zealand. Well, you would you would basically at that stage if you were going, if you had the if you have proficient rock band, you'd probably be able to get either by yourself through ABC, you could get onto Triple J. Yeah. And that would get you just enough exposure yeah, yeah. to get, you know, get a couple of hundred people to come and see you wherever you went in Australia. Because yeah. it's a nationwide broadcast station, absolutely massive. Massive. But then yeah. the, the the next level up is obviously uh, Triple M. It's the youth. It's the youth. Australia. It's the youth. It's the government youth station that New Zealand never quite had. So you you be go to. T- it'd be great if New Zealand got one because you know the the things that it could do just to give the younger uh, musicians are something to shoot for is like, yeah, we're going we're yeah, to get yeah. on, um, you know, get, we're going to, that's what we're going to shoot yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. you don't need a manager. Yeah. You don't need a record company. You just need a really good song, well recorded. And that was the trick. And so you go down to the SB to check out where your residency is going to be. Like my first yeah. days in Melbourne were just very, I mean, I'd been in London for a brief period and stuff, just um, not, not too long, but that was where I was actually going to live. And, it's a cool city, eh? Oh yeah, but just those first those first few months, man, are so memorable to me because it's just like you it just dawns on you how different it is to what you've known, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like, that's the what you're sort of getting to, right? Is that feel of yeah, like the like the ESPY was like the uh, rock and roll pub at the end of the universe. You know what I mean? Like down in the public bar at that point. It was punks only, and, like, I reckon I stuck my head in there for about five seconds and then realised I need to get out of here because I'm <laughs> not a punk, as, like, hardcore punks. So, and the, and the, there's stuff like um, um, like the rock the rock music was up, upstairs in the middle bar. and Which, but which pub was that? Uh, it was called the Nimrod Lounge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, um, which was the... Just the the front bar, they'd call it, with the big window looking out over over the uh, the Esplanade and the beach. You got the Prince of Wales with the public bar downstairs. On um, well, we we played upstairs at yeah. the Prince of Wales. I we worked never there played... for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although you should see it now; it's like totally like fully swanky, you know, 
really nice. So it's yeah. not a power station venue style venue now, because to me, the Prince and that that band room was like where you play when you're that kind of size band. I well, saw the- I saw Queens of, Queens of the Stone Age there before they were big enough to. Um, to, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Bro. And I was that's getting paid awesome. to clear glasses. <laughs> sort of like that's well, not, went, not that. I don't know what's happened to that room, but yeah. the public bar, the one that, that, that downstairs you see on the street. Yeah, you yeah. Know how it used to be like uh, you know just dudes with you know like hardened tattooed tradies drinking pots for two bucks or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, and smoking durries out the front. Yeah, yeah, mate, how you going? Um, but. It's just very posh now. Even that's different, man. We're going to go on for days and get self-indulgent about those first, you know, those first impressions of Melbourne. But yeah, that's another thing. Um, like just that old school pub culture. I, I don't remember it still being around in New Zealand. It's also eye-opening, no? Because you because you sort yeah. of like, oh, Aussie and New Zealand aren't that different. You sort of grow up, you kind of think that, and then you live there and you go, there is actually real significant living differences, Simil- culture differences. Sim- you know, there's similarities, yeah, yeah. of course, but. Yeah. yeah, there's similarities, but it's totally different buzz. It's a different buzz. We'll get back on to the weather trajectory in a sec, but out of interest, like, yeah. you must have come back here regularly because of family and stuff, right? You, you come back on holiday? I do, yeah. My yeah. mother's in Hawke's Bay, yeah. and my father's still in Timaru. Yeah. So I have to, you know, visit mum or visit dad, and depends on what's going on. And um, of course, they want to they want to see their grandson, so that's that's a big thing trying to get him back because he's just he's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger so fast. Uh, you know, you want to get him back so that they can hey look at look at look at him now he's like he's up to he's up to my hip. I know I'm quite a few years late, but congrats by the way, um, Dad. <laughs> what's what, what what's Dad's record in Timaru? How, how come he what's held him in Timaru? It's home. Um, he's actually a Yorkshireman. Yep. So for him, uh, coming from Yorkshire and then leaving at the age of 17 on a $10, $10 ticket with grandma and granddad, um, Timaru to him is heaven coming from where he comes from. He comes from the hard knocks of Yorkshire. Luxury. Luxury. Uddersfield Ludd. I could see, I could see, yeah, I could see that that direct link to Britain and your bro. <laughs> well, well, my father was. I, know, I'm the always, same. Dad came over when I when he was 13. Yeah, well, you know that. Like, I don't know if your father was into like blues music, but no, he was into father, heroin and armed robbery. That's fucking really cool. <laughs> Sort of. It loses its sheen. Um, so you get to the, <laughs> it loses you, its sheen. You, you get to um, <laughs> you get to Melbourne. You check out the ESPY. It's where you're going to have a residency, which basically what I was getting to before is unheard of in New Zealand. Let's face it, yeah. for someone yeah. who is in a covers band to have a residency. Um, basically, yeah. I'm going to say to you here, what happens from there? Where do wise in Aussie go? Because a lot happens in a real short period of time, right? Kind of describe the we, rise. We did a month, so we played four Thursdays with Motorace swapping headlines on the Thursdays. Then we, um, I'm not sure if we had maybe like a week off or something, so it was like July 99, then it was like August, then may, maybe we had a week off or something. Then we were on the road with another Warner signing from Brisbane called um, uh, Pretty Violet Stain, 
that had Shane Nicholson at the at the front helm, he's now a country star in Australia. So he went from being pop to doing country. Yeah. Um, you know, on his journey, but we had a, that was our first two week tour of the east coast of Australia, and <laughs> some pretty pretty cool stuff happened there. You know, we had we had to learn. You know how to deal with each other in a Tarago. Well, not a Tarago. We hadn't got a Tarago yet. We were in a twelve-seater van with all of our gear in the back cage. The glamorous reality of touring, right? Yeah, it's and it's like the first time you do it, it's it's kind of exciting. And then um, we did a massive tour with Triple J because uh, a band called Killing Heidi became who were with Warner. They became like number one overnight. And they were supposed to be doing the opening slot for this tour called the Triple J Turn Up Your Radio Tour. So very quickly, Warner threw us in at the as the opener, and then it was Motor Ace, um, an all-girl band. Um, uh, I can't believe I've forgotten. A listener name. can. A listener can tell me. Us. Hang on, no pre-show. What were they called? I've gone blank. That's terrible. That's right. Uh, message me later. <laughs> or record it. Uh, record, Nidacris. Record it into Messenger went, and I'll drop it I in. Went, I'll drop I it went, into the edit. <laughs> no, no, no. It's Nidacris because um, I, I, I started seeing the drummer. That's why I forgot. Oh. <laughs> I had a, I had a, like a, I had a blank moment like, ah, oh, ah. Uh. PTSD. Um, so there was the, the Triple J Turn Up Your Radio Tour was 35 dates. Um, over 40 days. Oh, my God. It was like... Drive, was, sound check, put head on pillow, 10 minutes back up, drive, sound check, play, play, repeat, repeat. Repeat, yeah, yeah. Maybe at some stage we had to get on a plane to get to WA. And Did you have a driver or were you guys expected to do all the driving as well? No, we had a tour manager. Yeah. And he would take a, a lot of the weight there, but Aaron would do a lot of driving. And um, uh, Tookie and I didn't have our license. Uh, Clinton was getting his license, so he started to do a bit of driving later on. And I used to drive illegally because I had insomnia and couldn't sleep. I'd be like, you know, like 2 a.m., talking to the tour manager, going, how you feeling, mate? You all good, you know? And then he'd be just like, I'm getting a bit tired. And I'd be like, let me get behind the wheel, mate. I'll be fine, no worries. You know, I'm never sleeping. I'll never sleep. And I would just do like, that four-hour run from 2 a.m. till 6, and then Aaron would wake up and go, bro, why are you driving? You're not licensed. Get out of there. Pull over. Pull over. I'll drive. Fuck, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a... Scala Red Bull. A little Aaron, bit of a dark, Red dark comment, but fuck, it's lucky you guys came out of that unscathed, man. Just the driving part of it, you know? Thousands of kilometres covered. Yeah. And especially, it's especially dangerous at night in Australia because the, the kangaroos and the wombats... Like like a, a kangaroo can destroy a car pretty bad, but a wombat will basically flip a car. You'll hit it, and it's like hitting a boulder because of the shape. Because of the shape of them, yeah, you just hit it, and your car just goes ping and starts, you know, doing a Dukes of Hazard three sixty that you never land. I had one, um, I think it's Hillsborough, I can't remember, somewhere beginning with H, just out of Melbourne when it just first starts to go rural. I had um, Hillsville. Hillsville. I had a can. I had a kangaroo, like like a it was like a car, cartoon moment. Like it 
this is yeah. night headlights it like bounced twice and then went off the road and it was one of those like a few seconds difference would have been a different story but i was yeah. just um quite it's because it's a really clear memory because i had no idea how big they are big right they're like six foot yeah in victoria that's yeah. they get like we've got them out here because i'm in country victoria about two hours drive from melbourne now yeah and you know i could uh, you know i could go outside now it's, the sun's going down and they're all looking for their um food and water because they're all waking up and you just go outside and you'll see a big well, I, I think they're bulls, the males. Yeah. And they're, they're, like, taller than me, and I'm six foot, and they are just meat and bones. And they look and, at you. And muscle, man. Like, it's just, again, back to the cartoon they, thing. That's why they, they ended look, up with boxing gloves on. Yeah, and they look at you, and then you look at them, and a friend of mine who grew up in country Victoria, he just goes, you just talk to them like you're at the pub. So <laughs> I do that. I just go, okay, mate. No, 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 I'm doing some gardening here, so you need to go away. Don't take I, my phone. You know, I don't want you around while I do my gardening. Now, now go away. And they get it. They, they, it's like, a, like they understand that, that you're busy doing something and that you don't want them around, and they go away. It's just it's bizarre. Hey, so for 90 minutes a night, there's a break from driving and you play a show. How were they? <laughs> <laughs> 90 minutes a night, there's a break. From driving and you play a show during that period of time. How were the shows? Because you're going to, like, rural Australia, right? Well, um, in wetter. Yeah. We would drive. Oh, no, we'd drive longer than that. No, but what I'm saying is, sorry, I, I've been too clever with how I phrased that. I'm basically saying, how did the shows go? And between all the driving, you're playing 36 shows over 40 days or whatever you oh, said. Oh, right, right. Yeah yeah, 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 I get you. Sorry, you're, you're being too intellectual, Lewis. Yeah. You yeah. Remember that I'm just a guitar player from Timaru. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody here from Timaru? <laughs> so, um,. Shout out to Gerald Stewart. Shout out to Gerald Stewart, my old, my old buddy, my old drummer. In fact. How were the shows? Um, Sorry. We, well, we were exhausted, and yeah. you just had to charge on by drinking, um, passing out, waking up, hungover, cold shower, Ooh. in the van, Ooh. go. Now, that was my experience, you know, because I was um, – you know, I was coping with it that way. Yeah. And then I started to cope with it with much more heavier stuff. Yeah. Because, um, you know, in Melbourne at that time, ecstasy was just really kicking in. Mm. And uh, I started to use that as my, it was like the, we'd go away. And when I got home to Melbourne, I was like, I would just go over on the pingers to the, to the guy, to the dealer. And, we would just get wasted on the like gugs, mate. On, on the gugs, that's another Aussie expression. Yeah, and just get just totally try and get as far away as possible from that awful experience that we just had. You know, like being on the road with filter. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, that must have been great." It's like, no, it wasn't. For starters, that you know, the lead singer of Filter was a complete, like, self-centered, arrogant prick. And he would like, um, 
you know, don't don't talk don't talk to him when he's um, sunbathing by the pool. That was the funniest one. <laughs> um, so is this is this gay? Is this with like like you kind of subconsciously you you know I've I've been through dark periods of my life. Most most people have, but you, you kind of subconsciously know, you know, you're being self destructive or whatever, however to frame it, but. Is this with the benefit of hindsight that you realised you were doing that with your off time owing to the touring? Because I would have thought at the time you're like, that's the rock and roll dream of like trying to get the band out there. Or was there like a, you, you knew you fucking hated it at the time? Because I would have thought it would, that would be cancelled out by shit, we're going to make it big. You know, a major label's interested in us. That's why we're doing this. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You you start out that way, but then you get out there and it's, it's fucking shit. Yeah, it's hard work. And um, I look at all the the you know the people that I was influenced by were all wasted, but they were they were taken care of by by serious people who were serious about taking care of them like like the musicians were serious about playing. Like Peter Grant from Led Zeppelin was serious about taking care of those guys. He had serious security. He had people in place to make sure that, you know, John Bonham didn't get so wasted that he couldn't do the next gig because, yeah. he, you know, he could do it. He could, back then he could just, not make it, but they would make sure that they had someone, a very strong but, man, bigger than than Bonham, stop him, and put him to bed. But then stop, the stop fl- drinking and go the, to bed. The flip, the, flip, the flip side of you kind of romanticizing that is, you could cynically say that those people outside of the band are kind of protecting their investment and they're kind of holding a bunch whereas, of guys, guys uh, up with serious problems. You know, uh, our, our our investment was not being protected to that level. Yeah. And we were, um, as um, David Benj once put it, um, during the Fur Patrol days, um, he said, you guys are the most dysfunctional band I've ever known. Oh, man. And uh, he's probably right, you know. We didn't talk a lot. We, we, We talked through music. Yeah, you know, Aaron would bring in a song, we'd work it out, we'd talk that out, we'd get the song going, but then, you know, we didn't we we didn't go all go down to Midnight Espresso as a gang and sort of go, yeah, it's got a new song happening. Da, 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 da. We sort of had that, you know, like we had our own little ponds yeah. to go and swim in, and um, like. I connected with, you know, like, for instance, you know, Aaron seemed to connect with Tom and, like, I seemed to connect it with, with Carl because of our passion of, you know, pinball and <laughs> vod- vodka and yeah, yeah. Pool, play- pool playing late at night at the hole in the wall. Um, and, yeah, it was just... Uh, I, I, get, I totally get the wider point you're making is that you went from having all your own kind of pockets in yeah. in Welly, but it all coming together in in a remarkable way on stage, and then suddenly yeah. you're in a completely different country, a completely different city, with a whole bunch of much higher expectations, and you're all thrown in a tiny little van together to try yeah. and like be We're, happy family. 
yeah, yeah, like good luck with the Partridge family, <laughs> like you know, and um, you just yeah you. You know, you just, you got to do the hours. You got to you got to do the time on the road, and you got to do the gigs. It's all part of the deal, but it, it does it, it wears you down. Clinton said something I thought um, pretty remarkable, and yeah. again in that video I watched recently. That again, considering he kind of has had an almost kind of Lars Ulrich buzz going on with getting that band, you know, where, <laughs> where, where, it, needed, where it needed to go at the time. <laughs> Um, yeah, that yeah. all these years later, he he realised that maybe Aaron, you know, that the oft-told tale, which wasn't not true, was that oh, it was Aaron's mental health full stop. But that actually, that guy was quite had quite a lot of foresight and pulled the plug for the benefit of all of you, based on everything you've just said, you know. And I can talk about it now; it's public because it was mentioned while Tookie was in the room. You know, he was drinking. To really dangerous levels. There's a whole lot going on. Do you think yeah. there's anything in that, Matt? I think I, I just think even that if subconsciously. Like, yeah, I think I think that if we just got sent home to Wellington, because you know I'd I'd moved on and become a Wellingtonian, I believe. You know what I'm saying? Like I felt like I was part of that 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 town, and it's different when you come from a small town and you leave home and, you know, Dunedin didn't work for me. Wellington was really cool. But, uh, you know, I made friends outside of all that music stuff as well in Wellington, you know, like, um, you know, all the crew down Cuba Street and all the cafes, the people that worked in those cafes, you know. A lot of them were music musicians as well, but, you know, there were other people. Yeah, sure. And... um, I think that if we got sent home, maybe you know, every three or four months, maybe every six months, just for a, just like for a slap in the face, like wake up, you know, yeah, M- remember your family, remember where you're from, you know, r- remember, and here it is, it's right here in Wellington, and nothing's changed. There's midnight espresso. Go have a coffee. And you know, the bottom bucket on the fountain still doesn't tip properly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the Matterhorns, you know, oh, they've extended out the back and got a beer garden. Yeah. Woo, that's crazy. So it's a shame. I mean, this is such a great conversation. We're, we're, I, there's still like half the stuff I had to ask you on the list. Um, okay. But we're getting nearer the tail end. But let's not forget, you know, for people who maybe first off hearing all of this, that there were. There were significant developments in Australia, and it wasn't just a, a never-ending circle of tours to eight people in a country pub. Like you, you, you did, you did start to rise quickly, right? Yeah. Like you did start yeah. to play bigger shows. Well, we had a major label behind us who were pushing. Yeah. And uh, they they were pushing because it was it was pretty clear, I think, that um, at that stage. It was pretty clear that um, there was probably five or six singles on the album. Yeah. You know, really, in reality, if you look at it, it's probably about five or six that are pretty rocking and, you know, really ready to go. So um, you're clearing your text. <laughs> Sorry, it's just my phone Sorry. went bing and it's the messenger, but it's on silent. 
that's cool, man. I think we've done well with the audio side of things. Um, didn't hear it. No, I heard it, and so, I went to see go over to check it, and um, no one, well, no one would have ever known. But I just thought I'd. <laughs> no one would ever know. Just edit. Just cut. Cut and paste. I think that's the beauty. You're supposed to leave all this, leave all this stuff in, aren't you? You can leave it in. Um, hey, for my own benefit, because um, you talked yeah. briefly about um, the quite funny story when Tookie finally met his hero Flea backstage yeah. at the big day out, but um, he was a little bit too Wu-Tang on booze to remember it. But I just wanted to know, because I listened to this. There's a dude, if you haven't heard it yet, ABC made it. There's a fucking amazing five-part doco on the big day out, like a podcast, and oh, it yeah. goes into a whole lot of different stuff about the big day out. But yeah. one of the things they talk about is um, how they really made an effort to, um, you know, make it a welcoming environment for all their touring artists and backstage and stuff. Like, yeah. what was it like being on that side of the Big Day Out, man? Like, I, I think they're incredible events as a punter, but... I experienced it about, well, main stage, I would have experienced it five times, I think. And, you know, that's just through uh, Sheha, really, and just getting getting through the gate without having a AAA pass. And then they, they, would, they would just, I don't know, we, the, with the Chili Peppers thing, Warner's made that happen. Yeah, yeah. Because the Chili Peppers were a Warner's band, and obviously we were all like, we want to see the Chili Peppers. Oh, and I thought they, you actually, I, I didn't know that part. I thought you guys had actually played... Um, at least a big show on that circuit and kind of ended up no, at those no, after parties we, we and all ne- of that. We never played the Australian Big Day Out. We played the New Zealand Big Day Out. Yeah. So our, we would have played the um, probably the 2002 Big Day Out. I think you guys, if you didn't play... In Australia. Yeah, not, in 1990, not... Maybe the '99 one, beginning of the year. If you guys didn't play, then Clinton Aaron were there because I got a lift back from it to Wellington with them. So maybe you play- we played. We played the Auckland um, Big Day out. '99. Uh, maybe That's- the 2000. Yeah, because I didn't join the band till. Um. The Foo Fighters. The Foo Fighters was late '98. Where to? Where to save me? I remember my lift. My flaky, it could have been '99. My flaky lift had left for for Wellington from Auckland, and somehow there was a space in a car with at least two wetters. Okay, <laughs> I want to go back to the big day out and experiencing the uh, side of stage on main stage. Yeah, which, right. Uh, this is the first time I saw um, what fame is. And Grinspoon, who are a massive Australian rock band, which I later, um, in 2007, I worked for them and played guitar. But at, at this stage, they were like the big rock band. Sure were. They were massive. They were. And you would look out and there was, you know, at the Flemington showgrounds, there's like 25,000, 30,000 people there. But right up the front, there's a solid sort of, 7,000 people and the front 10 rows, all their mouths are going in complete unison with Phil Jamison's vocal. And that's when I started to fire out. They know the word. These are the diehards, you know, on a a scale that you'd hit. You're not, 
used to from see. Melbourne. Yeah, and then that would happen, you know, at the next show for them and the next show. And later on, I got to actually tour the Big Day Out as a guitar tech, and I got to see some bands and experience that on an, an extremely high level, like Muse, side of stage, you know, standing with. Um, uh, the lead singer from Kinsabian and um, Billy <clears throat> Allen. There's great footage. <laughs> Bizarre. <laughs> There's great like, footage that, to me, captures the um, the kind of knife's edge of getting those performances right. It's being so high octane and so on, and it's footage. I'm 99 sure it's a big day out that someone filmed of Johnny playing and the Shihad guitar tech getting something wrong and this whole interaction happens really quick. And it's like, you get a real sense of, yeah, being, you're, you're distracting me by looking down at your phone. We'll, we'll finish it up shortly. No, but, no, yeah, no. You see, you, mate, you basically, my mate's, you, you basically, my mate's in hospital. My, oh, mate, sorry, my mate's in hospital. Yeah, but but you, it's, he's, he's, he's okay, but he's, my mate's in, in emergency in hospital. But you can tell... Uh, All I was saying is you can basically see how... Um, I can't get to him in Melbourne, you know what I mean? I can't, I can't help, help him. Yeah. But I, I, his sister has just told me that everything's okay. Hey, man, just to close on up, um, it's so, so, again, it's quite a big topic, but I know from the album being re-released and hearing you guys talk lately and stuff that, you know, it was 20 years ago. Yeah. You guys are in your 40s and stuff now, like... <laughs> You, the story I hear is that, and I wanted to get into this further, but I'll just kind of paraphrase it, is that it reached the point where when it finished, it was like you guys had a show in Picton, you got off the Nelson or whatever, you got off the Picton Ferry and basically walked in four directions, right? Correct. And was there just years of rift after that, like before any of you started communicating again? Because I remember seeing Dan Hayer again at the Prince of Wales. He worked in the bar downstairs. Yeah. And he he'd, ca- just, he'd just sit at the bar after work and just stare into the distance. And I knew what was going on. It was just like yeah. he, he had to process it for probably years afterwards, you know. Yeah. I um, I got my flight. You know, I think I haggled someone to get me out to the airport so I could get my flight back to Melbourne. I know that uh, Aaron and Tookie stayed in Wellington. You know, I I think that was always the i the idea was to look after Tookie. Yeah. Aaron and and Aaron was also you know looking after him and himself. And then uh, uh, Clinton got that plane ride back to Melbourne too. Um, obviously, you know, pretty pissed off, getting told in New Plymouth that your lead singer doesn't want to be in the band anymore and then having to do 11 more shows with Shehard was really tough. But they were really good shows because we were all really angry. So we'd suddenly got that Metallica anger in us. And, like, we were, we were like, I reckon, I reckon on a couple of nights through that tour, maybe that New Plymouth one, after Aaron told us what was happening, because, um, you know, news travels pretty fast. So suddenly Fur Patrol are st- staying around to watch us play, to see what's going to happen. She had a coming early. So we've got both bands side of stage all crammed into a little um, a little scouts hall with, you know, like four or 500 people from New Plymouth who are just like, 
thanks for coming. We love you. But secretly we were all just like going, and um, it was just, we were really on fire with anger. Yeah. But but a great relief as well, I think, because, um, you know, you have to put health first. Yeah. Yeah, but like, yeah, I mean, you you know, you and Clinton were back in Melbourne. You didn't exactly like you wouldn't have stayed. Like everyone just needed cool off time in their corners, right? Whether that was years or weeks or. Oh, look! It took till two thousand and eight. Yeah. Or two thousand. Yeah, two thousand and eight. For um, Aaron to seriously consider um, doing something with the project. Yeah. Um. And then, you know, I hadn't talked to Aaron since then. Oh, no, sorry. I, I, I spoke to him when he was in Cairo and I fight because he stayed at our place because Tookie let him crash on the couch. So he hung out with me and Tookie and well, I, should, I should say Tookie and me and my brother came because he wanted to see Cairo and I fight at the ESPY. And um, I had to go to work, so I missed the show and I'm disappointed about that. Never got to see Cairo and I fight, but. I did get to catch up with Aaron later on and we sort of stayed up all night on the guitars like the old days awesome. singing, singing songs, yeah. you know, having a bit of a laugh and having a drink. And uh, and then I spoke to him for the uh, 20th anniversary. But, you know, in between, I, I knew he was doing what he was doing because I would watch him. Yeah, I, I knew he was doing Hori Buzz because he was pushing it on Facebook, and you know, um, Tookie was here in Melbourne, and he and I tried to do a few projects and um, couldn't get them off the ground because we were just '90s rock. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I'll finish up pretty darn shortly, but yeah, those lockdown videos he did um, before he passed were like completely off the rails in a lot of ways, but completely brilliant at the same time, and. I've glad that, going glad, live to Facebook. Yeah, his his videos. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of wisdom among, <laughs> amongst the booze in that in, in those videos, and I've watched a couple of them a couple of times. There's a, there's, a, so, there's a song in that, Lewis. There's a lot of wisdom amongst the booze. That's right. <laughs> and um, I just I wanted because sign of a great conversation, bro, is probably about half the things on my list I didn't get to, but that's fine. Um, I just wanted to quickly say we, I did we a bit can of, keep did, going did, if you want. Did a bit of sleuthing on you. We can we keep go. going if you want, Lewis. It's fine. Did a little bit of sleuthing on you, and um, you've started a music school over there. You've had a music school for quite a few years, teaching little eight, kids. Eight years yesterday, man. That's awesome. You got a whole yeah. bunch of tutors and. Yep, based yep. in and St Kilda. It, it all, it all was on this excellent, you know, rise up to COVID. You know, we had a steady kind of eighty to one hundred and twenty students every year, and then COVID came, boom, and uh, not a lot of people like Zoom for lessons, as you can imagine. And you and I um, tr- trying to uh, have a, you know, a guitar lesson. In this situation, you know, it's impossible. Yeah. So it's like um, impersonal in that way because music is so personal. Yeah. So we lost a lot of students when COVID hit, but we kept it together enough and got through that um, nasty stage for Melbourne and um, 
and we reopened our doors when the government were happy. So the school reopened, and yeah, it's just been going going along, and it's eight years old. And I, yeah, like, well, I mean, wow. eight, eight years sounds like a business. You know, that's not going anywhere, man. Like that, that's that's amazing. Where did where did the um, inspiration come from? Like, did you just start doing lessons, well, and, and, and 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 it kind of like um, grew, or was it a, was it a plan no, from the beginning no, to have a school I, I, school? I'd been in hospitality. And I've been working with a guy, and uh, he's after a couple of minutes, must have been like two or three years. I, I was at the Railway Hotel. Oh, the South Railway! Melbourne, yeah, in the south in South Melbourne. Yeah, and um, one of the one of the guys there, he just said he was a guitarist. He said, "Oh, do you do you want to start a music school?" And I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, cool." And then. Um, uh, we started that up, got things going, and uh, my friends at the vineyard got us, you know, a leg up by, you know, subleasing to us in St Kilda. Oh, is it in the vineyard building? What's well, across the road? Yeah, but the vineyard owners have an office in that building, so we got a leg up because I had, you know, the connection there because because we, we wanted the school to be in St Kilda. Yeah. So that the mums could bring their kids to the school and then go to the grocery store. Yeah, that was the, that was the sales pitch. It was like, you know, half you, an hour lesson. You enjoy teaching, Gosh. man. I, I teach. I um. I talk to. Do you remember Darren Watson, guitarist from Wellington? Yeah, he teaches now as well, and um, I talked to him yeah. about it on the podcast. But um, it's made it's made me grow heaps too. Teaching, you enjoy awesome. it? Not on Zoom. No, but. Going to pre-COVID world, like, did it? Did it? You know, does do you do you get a lot out of it too? I was passing the flame. I was passing the flame to a bunch of people that don't even know Eddie Van Halen. You know? <laughs> yes, and that's that was my main vision. He died too, like a couple of months after Aaron. I was like, oh, can this yeah. year get any worse? Next thing you know, Jimmy Page is going to go. You know, uh, Kadinsky from um, Mushroom Records passed tonight. I know, crazy. That's a that's a big, you know, that's a big player in Australian big, music. There, huge legacy. Um, hey, listen, no, I will wrap it on up because um, there's also a narrative to these. They don't just it's not just a random session of questions. So we have reached yes. a beautiful. <laughs> What's have, the narrative? <laughs> oh, you wait to hear it back. Come on, you heard the Aaron one. I'm, I'm a, a, you're working with an artist, mate. I know. I know. Well, I know. <laughs> It's been, it's been great catching up with you, man. It's a, that's that, that expression that's been a long time between drinks. I appreciate But I was going to ask, bro, is you, um, it's a, reaching out. Thanks, man. It's um, like from all of that experience with, with Weta and then how it just kind of stopped so quickly mm. and reconciling everything, like um, what did it kind of instill into you going out into the world after that, man? Like, you know. What did you take from that experience? The, the first time we broke up or the second time? <laughs> <laughs> what was the second time after those Big Day Out shows in 2009? Do both, mate. I don't care. Do what you want. Uh, the first time I was um, like, I really liked the idea of, you know, being in Melbourne because yep. the, there's a music scene. So I thought, well, there's maybe there's a chance for me to jump on the bandwagon with another band that needs a guitarist. 
and um, I actually ended up working for Maiden Guitars. So I ended up building guitars for about a year, and then um, I started working with my girlfriend at the time, Kelly Malone, and I still had that connection with Warner. So we kind of got a record deal happening, but the record company didn't like it because it didn't have drums or bass because we were doing that Gillian Welsh thing, so just the two guitars, two voices. Um, and So like the yin to the yang of Pendulum. Then, yeah, like, and then just... Uh, and then, you know, convincing Tookie to come over, starting a rock band with him and the drummer from Motor Race. Just always always slogging it out with music, you know, and always keeping music at the forefront, or trying to anyway, whilst being in hospitality. And then, you know, as I said before, the, the teaching came along. That seemed like a great idea because I just felt like guitar music was like like nowhere to be seen. And I thought... I've got to pass the torch. I've got to start yeah. passing the torch. Um, and, you know, uh, r- recently I've, you know, had the pleasure of finding, I had to wait six years, to be honest, to finally have the pleasure of being with a drummer that I just, I just, his, his drumming style is just primo. So I've been working on music with him and a bass player and we're a trio called Crimson Pie and we like to play 80s rock like Guns N' Roses and all that stuff. So kind of return, you, you get to this age where you don't care anymore yeah, yeah, about yeah, yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, you don't yeah. care about what's popular or yeah. should I, how do I get on the radio? Or you got to yeah. play, you got to play like this. You got to be like the Kings of Leon or you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. And it's just like, oh, it's just doing my head in and then... It's great being over 40. and, and it, reach, yeah. yeah. No, totally. It's that it's that reaching that I don't care as much about stuff I just anymore. don't care what well, people I care think. about the important stuff. I don't I care. care. I care if I like it. I don't it. care about the bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I, I care that I like it and, um, and I do. So it's okay if no one does because <laughs> I'm having so much fun um, playing, um, you know, music that... that that I created with people who I enjoy being in a band room with. It's just awesome. Awesome. We'll end there, man. And um, if we ever get over this COVID thing, um, next time I'm in Melbourne, uh, we should um, we should actually do this, you know, IRL, okay. as the kids say. <laughs> Take care, bro. All right. Cheers, bro. See you, man.